Psalm 71. And now in my old age, don't set me aside. Don't abandon me when my strength is failing. For my enemies are whispering against me. They are plotting together to kill me. They say, God has abandoned him. Let's go and get him, for no one will help him now. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Then I will praise you with music on the harp, because you are faithful to your promises, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy and sing your praises, for you have ransomed me. Good morning, New Spring. I love doing that. You guys are always so fast to come back with good morning. We are finishing out a series this morning on blues. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I've been tracking with you guys for the first three weeks online. And, uh, you know, this is a series I can really relate to because I've dealt with sadness in my life. I've dealt with some depression. I've, I understand where David is coming from when he writes these psalms. I, was, I haven't been where he was, but I understand a lot of the same feelings. And I just want to do a real quick recap in case you happen to be coming in for the first week this week and you haven't caught blues up to date. We're talking about, in this series, King David, who was king of Israel. David had had kind of a remarkable life because on top of everything else, if you trace his life all the way back to the beginning, David started out making minimum wage, working for his family, and ended up being the head of state in Israel. David went through a lot of things in his life. He went through family heartache. He went through heartache over his own sin. He went through heartache based off of things he had no control over. But in the middle of all this, David was an extremely talented musician. David was a lyricist. A good lyricist is hard to find. David wrote great lyrics in the Bible about all the struggles he went through. Last night, I mentioned to the Saturday night crowd, I said, can you imagine what it would be like if the president of the United States wrote a song about every single thing that went wrong or right in his presidency. And I could look and I saw they were already doing song titles in their head. And I said, stop. It's not where we're going with this. But this is what David did. He gave us this window into his life. He gave us this window into his circumstances because when he went through great moments or when he went through really sad moments, he didn't mask those for us. He wrote lyrics. These lyrics ended up in the Bible. First week, we talked about the innocent blues. Those were the blues because the king that was before uh, David was chasing him because he was an annoying little disturbance to his life plan. He wasn't planning on David coming in behind him and taking over the kingdom, and that was what was going to happen. And so Saul was trying to kill David. David didn't do anything to deserve that. And so David wrote these lyrics from his heart to God about being chased. We call these lament psalms or lament songs. Basically what it means, it's a lyric <clears throat> that was written in a mode of crying. He was literally crying these lyrics out of his heart. And the first week we talked about how he was crying and saying, I haven't done anything to deserve this. God, I need you to fight my battles for me. The second week, 
We talked about the lyric that David wrote because of himself, because of his own sin, because David had had an illicit affair uh, with a woman who was not his wife, and then in order to cover it up, because he couldn't manage to pull off an easy cover-up, he had her husband killed. And David wrote a, a lyric, a lament lyric to God about the pain in his heart because of himself, because of his own sin. Last week, we talked about the intense family turmoil that David went through. The things that aren't even easy to talk about in a room like this that happened in his family between his kids. And that one of his kids literally chased him out of his job. One of his kids literally chased him out of town. And he had to give up the kingdom temporarily. But this week is a little different than those weeks. Because see, the first three weeks there's somebody to pin it on. The first week you can pin it on Saul, because Saul is who's chasing David, and that's who David's talking about. You can pin it on Saul the first week. The second week you can pin it on David. It's his fault. He did something really stupid, and now he was living with the consequences over it. You can pin it on David the second week. The third week you can pin it on a few different members of his family, the kind of family turmoil that he went through. This week, though, there's really not a face to pin this on because David is now dealing with a faceless enemy, and that faceless enemy is old age. There's really not anybody that you can, you can pin this on. Now he's dealing with the fact that when he goes and looks in the mirror, it is an incredibly depressing experience. You know, we're kind of used to the anti-aging developments that have happened over the last century, you know, and we kind of automatically, our brains go there. But can we just backtrack for a minute and think about what it had to be like for David to be in his latter years without any of those advantages? I mean, David was old, and there were no dentists. So, I mean, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm not trying to leave the realm of the genteel here, but he had probably lost most of his teeth. There were no... Uh, Uh, eye doctors. He probably wasn't seeing very well. We know for a fact that later on in his life, even just being able to regulate his own body temperature was an issue. He was having health struggles, and when he went and looked in the mirror, it wasn't a happy experience. It was a depressing experience, because what he saw in the mirror led him to believe that he couldn't do much. I want to go ahead and read our passage, just a portion of it here to get us started this morning. We're reading out of Psalm 71. I'm going to start in verse 9. He says, and now in my old age, watch this. He says, don't set me aside. Don't set me aside. Don't abandon me when my strength is failing. It's depressing when I look in the mirror. God, when I look in the mirror, it looks like I'm somebody who ought to be set aside. But then he talks about another thing. He talks about how vulnerable he feels. If you look in verse 10, he says, for my enemies are whispering. My enemies are whispering against me. They are plotting together to kill me. They say, God has abandoned him. Let's go and get him, for no one will help him now. He's saying, look, not only do I look in the mirror and I feel like it's a depressing experience to see what my body looks like now, I also feel very vulnerable. You know, I was thinking about discarded things, vulnerable things, and I thought about garage sales. Because a garage sale is a place for discarded things. Do you all like to garage sale? More of you do than are nodding your heads. I love to garage sale. 
And you know, one of the reasons, and I, I talked about this last night, and I had a few people come up to me afterwards and say, I don't think I can ever walk into a garage sale the same way again, so I'm about to ruin it for most of you. One of the, one of the things that I love about going into a garage sale is that it tells me something about the owner of that house. Because there are tables laid out of things that that owner once thought were valuable, but now they don't have any more value. In fact, they're saying this thing was once valuable enough to go to the trouble to get. Now it's worth more to me to get, it's better for me to get rid of it because it's more trouble to keep than to get rid of. I love going to garage sales and seeing all the ass seen on TV stuff. Have you noticed that? The Ginsu knives, the your produce will never get old Tupperware, the, the Snuggies. Well, that was an invention, wasn't it? And then the ShamWows. You know, I'm thinking, I see, I, I walked into a garage sale the other day, I saw a stack of ShamWows. Uh, I mean a stack. And I thought to myself, I know this guy's got to be sitting in his house at 2 o'clock in the morning. And by the way, when you're watching TV at 2 o'clock in the morning, anything on a commercial looks good. And this guy's sitting there flipping channels. Well, there's this chamois that can pick up a whole bowl full of water in one go at it. I think I might need that. So he calls and orders it, and now it's sitting in his garage sale. It's unopened. The guy's saying, look, right now the thing is taking up useless space in my closet. It's, it's worth more to me now to get rid of it than it would be to keep it. You know, I think what David is saying in this passage is, God, I just don't want to end up in your garage sale. He's saying, God, I don't want to be more trouble than I'm worth. God, I want to have a purpose. I, want to, I know that inside I have potential. And God, when I look at myself in the mirror, I, to me, it looks like garage sale material. To me, when I look at myself in the mirror, it looks like I would probably be more trouble than I'm worth. And life will give you that sort of impression. When I was doing a little bit of research about um, this topic, uh, I was really just flabbergasted to find out that one of the primary biases of our age today is age. Why well, would it, uh, you know, maybe I've just been living under a rock, but I had no idea. You know, I think of bias, I think about, you know, perhaps racial bias or, you know, bias based off of, I don't know, what part of the country you live in. I mean, I just tend to think of people just having disagreements. I never thought about bias based off of age, but it is a huge problem and it's getting worse. And so as I looked at this passage, I kind of joked with my dad a little bit before I came here because I said, okay, here I am. I'm a guy in my late 20s talking to a room full of people about old age. You know, I said, I don't know that I know that much about it. But what was interesting was I learned through this process, and I think this probably has something to do with the idea of bias, that the old people that I know or older people that I know have been in my spot. They have been in my shoes. They know what it's like to be younger. But I have no idea what it's like to be older. What David is doing in this text is he's given me a window. He showed me things in this passage that I had never thought about what it had to be like. And I, that's why I'm so excited this morning, because there's something here for everybody. I don't care if you're 18 years old or you're 90 years old. There's something here in this passage, because this is a window into David's emotions. Why? Because David doesn't hold anything back. He tells us exactly how he feels. You know, in the Lament Psalms, and this is our fourth, 
But there's a whole bunch of lament psalms. One thing that you will find as a recurring theme is that David almost always talks about what I feel, and then he contrasts that with what he knows. Have you ever met somebody who lives based solely off of how they feel? I have a little Jonathanism, and it is, I, I call myself sometimes a compulsive reactor. Because a circumstance comes into my life, and I feel like I have to react based off of that circumstance. You know, something happens, and I immediately twist the way I was going, and I start to react to that circumstance, and I begin to behave out of character because something came into my life, and it threw me off track. David says, look, there's two realities at play here. One reality is how I feel, and how I feel is real, but it may not be accurate. This is what I know. And he talks to us about this in this passage. I want to talk about what David tells us about his reality in this. We just talked about how he feels useless. He feels useless. He looks in the mirror and he says, I don't see much. Well, I don't know if you can relate to this. I can He looked in the mirror and he says, I don't know that I see much that God can use. I look in the mirror, I don't know that I see much that God can use. And then he says, not only that, but I'm vulnerable. What I see when I look in the mirror is is vulnerable. You know, the thing about it is, David knew how to hide a lot of vulnerability. He was a warrior. He knew how to hide where he was vulnerable and how to accent his strengths. But you know what? Getting old is something that you can't hide. He said, I'm living with a world of transparent vulnerability. Everybody knows I'm vulnerable. You know, they may not know where I am, but they haven't lost their calendars. They know I'm old. And he said, I'm vulnerable. They can track me down. I can hear them whispering in my ears. They can come get me and kill me. But then he says this in verse 14, and this is so huge. I told the crowd last night, if all you have in your purse is eyeliner or guys, all you have is a golf pencil, go ahead and circle this because this is huge. Verse 14, but I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. God, I look in the mirror and I feel useless. God, I look in the mirror and I think I'm vulnerable. I'm open to attack, but I will keep on hoping. What a transition. I feel bad. I feel like I'm vulnerable. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I want to read that to you out of the NIV because it is a little bit different the way that it's phrased. I like this a little better. The NIV says, but as for me, I will always have hope. As for me, I will always have hope. No matter what the mirror says, no matter what anybody else says about me, I will always have hope. It's important because David was probably living in a situation where everybody wanted to do everything for him. Easiest thing would have been to just say, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to quit hoping, I'm going to quit functioning, I'm just going to call it. But he said, I will always have hope. How did David have hope? That's my question. How did David have hope? I want to give you three things this morning about how David had hope. And if you, if you take these to heart, they will help you when you're dealing with discouragement in life. The first thing is based off of the fact, it's based off of the fact that David knew a fundamental truth about life, and that is that life will always try to pull you off center. I don't know if you've experienced that. You know in your head what you know. You come to New Spring and you hear things about God, and you know that's true. Inside, you know that's true. You identify with it. You learn that about God, and you lock into it. You lock into that truth, but Tuesday comes along, and something terrible happens, and what happens is life begins to pull you off track. 
that's what life does. David recognized that. That wasn't abnormal. That's just what happens. And so what David understood about life, thing number one, he understood that he had to calibrate the the direction of his life to something trustworthy. I I brought this watch with me this weekend. My wife bought me this watch for our anniversary uh, a couple years back. Now, I know something about this watch. My wife bought me a nice watch. It has a relatively new battery in it. I know that this watch is wholly capable of keeping excellent time. This watch right now is totally capable of functioning as it was designed by the watchmaker to function. I know that. But right now, this watch could really mess me up. Because right now, it's not calibrated to the correct time. You guys are thinking, oh no, we're never going to get out of here. He doesn't know what time it is. I know what time it is. But when this watch is not calibrated to the correct time, it is not functioning as it was designed to function. That's just like our lives. The Bible tells us you got to calibrate your life to something. you got to set your life to something. So the question is, what are you going to set it to? David understood. We talked about the fact that he said, this is what I feel, but this is what I know. Hey, those are your two choices. You either calibrate your life to what you feel or you calibrate your life to what you know. And David understood that if you calibrate your life to what you feel, you're going to spend your life chasing your tail because what you feel will always change. Feelings don't stay the same, but God always stays the same. So David knew, if I can just calibrate to God, if I can just set my life's direction based off of God, this much I know, at least I'll keep going in the same direction. You know, the most frustrating thing in my heart sometimes when I look at my life is I see the zigzag patterns I've made in my life because I've calibrated my direction based off of what I feel and I've been going backwards and to the right and to the left when if I had just paid attention to what God was trying to tell me in my life, I could have actually moved the ball down the field. That's what David is saying. David is saying, I'm going to calibrate to what I know. I want you to um, look with me. I'm going to read this. Uh, several passages I didn't give the tech team. Like I, like I told um, everybody last night, a lot of this was just pieced together because God gave it to me on short notice. But I want to read this to you in, in verse um, 15. This is right after he said, I will keep on hoping for your help. He said, I will keep on hoping, and then watch this. See if you can tell how he's calibrating, how he's setting the watch of his, dire- his direction in life. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long, I will proclaim your saving power, though I'm not skilled with words. I will praise your mighty deeds, O sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you alone are just. O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. I feel bad, I feel useless, I feel vulnerable, but it's not about that. God, my life right now, it's about you. Because I know if I calibrate my life in that direction, I'll actually experience purpose in my life. The second thing is that David said, no matter what, oh, please get this, no matter what, I am not going to quit. And people, I think, probably expected him to quit. I mean, he was old. He didn't look like the the kid that took down a giant 
when he was a teenager. You know, David and Goliath, the story that almost everybody's heard. This teenager takes down a giant, and it was a, a huge thing for David's people. He doesn't look like that anymore. And there are people that are expecting him to quit. Have you ever lived in a circumstance in your life where it seemed like everybody around you figured you were going to quit? I think David lived in a circumstance where everybody who who surrounded him thought he was going to quit. But David said, I will keep on hoping. As for me, I will always have hope. Don't count on me to quit because I find my hope in God. So I'm not going to quit. There's no way to experience your purpose in Christ. There's no way to fulfill your potential if you choose to sit on the sidelines. David understood what he'd be missing. I mean, let's just go back to the fact that when he was a teenager, he did take down that giant. David wasn't, he didn't have a ton of potential as a teenager. It was God who made that happen, and David understood that. David knew what it was like. He had done it. He had experienced it. He had felt what happens when God takes over, and it wasn't him, but it was God in him doing something huge. And what he's saying is, look, I may be old, but I was young then, and God did something big, so there's no reason to think that now that I'm old, God can't do something now. The truth is God can do something at any time with any person in this room. I want to read a, a passage to you out of 2 Corinthians. And I, I feel like sometimes two passages are just bound together. They're just, they're tied. These two passages are tied. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament. But man, these texts, they just lock together. This is the Apostle Paul talking. I want to, I want to read this to you. He says that, excuse me, let me move back here. He says, we are pressed on every side. We're stressed. We've got pressure coming in from the top and from every side. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. He said, I may be stressed, but I'm not collapsing. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. He says, I won't be banished to the island of ineffectiveness just because I don't understand everything that's going on right now. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. He said, look, I may be being chased, but I know who I'm running with. We get down, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I'm gonna skip over this to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Remember, David said, I will keep on hoping. I will always have hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. That is why we never give up. That is why we never give up. Now watch this. This is huge. Though our bodies are dying, though the outside is deteriorating, our spirits are being renewed every day. That's huge. What Paul is saying is, look, even though the outside is deteriorating, the inside, the part of me that, that, the part of me that communicates with God, the part of me that, that, that interfaces with the purpose that God's given me in my life, that part is getting younger The outside may be slowing down, but the inside is gaining momentum. How is that possible? How is it possible that on the outside things would begin to fall apart, but on the inside things would be speeding up? David understood that God doesn't evaluate people the way people evaluate people. 
you know, you may have had a lot of job evaluations. You guys been to a job evaluation, they mark you on a scale of one to five. He's really good at this, really good at this, and this could use some work. You may have been evaluated by your spouse. Maybe your spouse has told you pretty much all you need to know about you. You may have been evaluated by family. You may have been evaluated by people who don't like you, people who do love you. At the end of the day, though, what David understood is that the way God evaluates you is completely different than the way everybody else evaluates you. How do I know this? You know, back when David was picked, he was handpicked by God to be the king of Israel after Israel picked a really second-class king. When David was handpicked to be king of Israel, Samuel went to David's house to go pick out the new king under God's authority. And he saw the first kiddo, and the first kiddo was tall. He was good-looking. He was handsome. He was definitely in Saul's league. And he thought, surely this has got to be the guy. I want to read you this passage. It's out of 2 Samuel, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks on the inside. The Lord's not concerned with how tall you are, how old you are. I've got some disappearing hair. It's performing a disappearing act on top. You know, I comb a little forward and a little back and it covers it up all right. You know, but he's not concerned with whether you're losing your hair or your teeth or whether you're short or you're taller, how old you are, or what race you are, any of those things. That, that's of, of absolutely no consequence to God. What's of consequence to God is what's inside. And David understood what it was like to live with big dreams, but not a lot of capabilities on the outside. But here's what David got about God, and I hope you get this today as we're talking. David knew that God loves to do big things through incapable people. God loves to do huge things through people who don't have the capability. Why? Because God is able to display what only he can do. God can, God can show people. People look at that and go, well, that's not a put-together person. I don't know how that person managed to pull that off. That must have been a God thing. We, we see that in 2 Corinthians. We go back to what Paul was saying there. In verse 7, he says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Now watch this. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. What we're learning here is that God loves to showcase his ability through incapable people. And David understood that. That's how David was able to kill the giant. Now David says, I may be old, but it's possible. It's just possible that God has something huge he wants to do through me, even though I'm old, to showcase his glory. He decided not to quit. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, it says, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze. We calibrate. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. Hey, guys, this body will soon be gone. The things we see now will soon be gone. 
But the things we cannot see will last forever. There's an eternal part of me. There's an eternal part of you. The part of you on the inside that interfaces with God, it doesn't quit when you die. That inside part is forever. And that's why God's concerned with it. God's not concerned with the temporary. The body on the outside is temporary, and God's not concerned with it. God's concerned with what's on the inside. The third thing I want to mention is that David remembered who he was. I don't know if you remember the first week we talked about this, but David, one of the the things my dad said the first week that just really resonated with me is he said, when you quit doing what you do, you quit being who you are. That's so true because we know that purpose and identity are like this. Your identity and your purpose, they're right next to each other. So if you lose, oh, this is so huge. If you lose your purpose, you almost always lose your identity. In fact, you can backtrack that. If if you find somebody in a huge identity crisis, you will most often find that the crisis is not about their identity. It's about their purpose. I want to read to you from this same psalm. We haven't changed psalms here. This is the same song lyric. We started off talking about how vulnerable David feels. We started off talking about how useless David feels. David talks about how he always is going to have hope. And then he says this, verse 22, then. He just talked about how God, how he believed, his faith was God would restore him. He says, then I will praise you with music on the harp. Because you are faithful to your promises, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy and sing your praises, for you have ransomed me. I will tell you about uh, I will tell about your righteous deeds all day long, for everyone who tried to hurt me has been shamed and humiliated. I want you to get a picture of what we're talking about here. When David was a teenager, the harp, the lyre, those were tools that he had with him all the time. He sang for Saul. He helped calm Saul's spirit by being a musician, by singing. As he got older, the harp and the lyre were a big part of his life as he wrote these lyrics to God. But now he's old, and the harp and the lyre are old. They've been around for a long time. This relationship, this music thing has been It's been playing out for a long time, but he says, you know what? All through this time, I've never forgotten why you made me. Remember how the first week dad said that that David said, God, I I just want you to fight my battles. That's what I really want. I want you to fight my battles so I can feel free to sing. I want to be free to write music. I want to feel free to be the musician you gifted me to be. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a praiser. God, that's why you made me. Even though I'm in the situation where I have to be a a warrior, I want to be what you made me to be. And God blessed that. Well, this is exactly what he's doing now. He's saying, look, this is where I'm struggling. This is what I'm feeling. And I'm old. But you know what? In the middle of all this, I still remember who I am. I'm still a singer. I'm still a praiser. I'm still a songwriter. None of that has changed. I'm still going to do what you gifted me to do. I know, I know that sometimes we experience, as, as we go through seasons of life, we experience a big shift in the direction that our life takes or what we do or you know, jobs and that sort of thing. But inside... God has given you an identity. And at some point, 
you have, you have touched base with what that identity God has given you. And let me tell you what, you want to hold on to that for all your worth. Because that is how you experience your purpose. Hold on to that identity that God has given you. David said, I don't care what comes in life. I'm going to stick with what God gave me. And I, I just want to say this, and I could be wrong, because we're talking in figurative terms here. I may be taking this a little too far, but I don't think God ever puts anybody in a garage sale. I don't think he does. You know what I think happens? I think people start to trust their emotions. They start to, they start to calibrate their life based off of how they feel, and then they quit, and then they forget who they are. You know, the greatest thing is that you can backtrack that. You can say, God, I'm off track. I have quit. I've voluntarily gone. I've sat on the sidelines because, let me, and let me, just, let me just say this. One of the biggest problems we have in our culture today, frankly, is that we, deter, we, we look at discouragement or we look at a setback or we look at a speed bump, something that happens in our life, a circumstance we wouldn't have hoped for ourselves. It happens to us and we interpret that as a sign to quit. David said, I'm not going to quit. I may be old, but I've got potential. I've got purpose. One last scripture, and I know we have to go. We were already in Psalm 51 before, but since we're closing out blues, this is, this is where we have to end up, closing out this four weeks. Psalm 51, verse 17. This is what he says. The sacrifice you desire, the thing you want, God, what you want is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. I want to leave you with one thought tonight, or this morning before we go. And that is, life is not about finding out a way to get put together. I wish I could just really communicate that strongly because I sense, because I've been there, that I'm talking to some folks this morning somewhere in this room, and you're trying the best you can to figure out how you can manage to piece together the pieces of your life because you're broken. And the idea is, I can come to God if I can just figure out a way not to be broken anymore. You know, Jonathan, I, I don't think God wants me right now because I'm going through all sorts of just bad turmoil in my life. Hey, David had been through turmoil. Jonathan, my family is falling apart. Stuff is just going nuts in my house. You have no idea. And there's nothing, you know, that's going to fix that. And I don't think God wants me until I get that lined out. Well, that's not true. David experienced family turmoil. God, uh, Jonathan, God doesn't want me. I've committed sin. I've done something terrible. I can't even tell you. I, I just... I just live with the guilt cloud hanging over my head all the time. I can't get over it. Look, David had had an affair with a woman and had her husband killed. But David had hope. Why? Because he understood, please listen, life is not about how you manage to put the broken pieces back together, but it's about where you take the broken pieces. David understood, all, all I have to do, all I have to do is take the broken pieces to God. Look, God works on it at a different economy than we do. To God, you're valuable when you're broken. And he says, you may be broken, but bring me the broken pieces because then I can do something huge.
And that's what God wants to do in each of our lives this morning. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I can't be talking to a room of folks this big without somebody thinking in their heart, Jonathan, you're talking about being broken. That is... That, that would be the personalized license plate on my life right now. I am just a totally broken person. But I don't even know God. Jonathan, I don't, even, I don't even know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. But what you talked about this morning resonated with me because somewhere deep down inside, I know I do have an identity. I know I do have a purpose. And I want to connect with God. That's what I really want. And I do, this morning, want to bring him the broken pieces. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. This is, this is a simple prayer, and it's not magical. But if you pray this prayer, Christ will come into your life, this God that I've been talking about all morning, and he will save you. I'm going to give you this in bite-sized pieces. and You can repeat this prayer in your heart silently, and God will save you. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know that I'm a sinner, I recognize that I cannot save myself. Please forgive my sins. Come into my heart and save me. Now look this way. If you prayed that prayer this morning, God has come into your heart and saved you. And this morning, even if you're a child of God and your life is a, is a mess of broken pieces, give those pieces to God because he wants to do something huge through you.